last Friday, I had the opportunity to drive round trip to Des Moines, Iowa for the third time in the last three weeks. There's something about that drive that reminds me of western Kansas, part of the state where I was raised. I'm sure there's something beautiful about it. I haven't found it yet. <laughs> I suppose if you lived there, you know, there's something beautiful about it. In fact, there was something beautiful on Friday. I was driving just about sunset, and you can see the sun go down. I live in Shoreview. We live down in the little valley, and the sun goes down a half an hour before it goes down. Down there, when it goes down, it's down. It drops off the end of the world in the west. And it was a clear day, but just a few clouds in the evening, and just enough to make it interesting in the west and to give us some color. I watched as the sun went down, admiring the beauty of God's creation, and then saw the light reflected for the, the next hour and a half. There was still light in the west at 6 o'clock. But as that sun began to chase the darkness around the world and disappeared from here, other lights came on. Of course, the car lights. There was a, a ribbon of light that cut the night on Interstate 35 as I was driving south and others were driving north. And then the yard lights and farms began to light up and the house lights and soon little towns along the highway were lit so that even though the darkness grew, there were pinpoints of light that pierced the darkness all the way there. I want to tell you something. Light always pierces the darkness. The darkness cannot put out the light. Whether it be God's Son S-U-N, or if it be lights that man has created, the light will always dispel the darkness. That's its very nature. Now, we are talking about God's Son, S-O-N, as the light of the world, that he came into the darkness. That's our theme this Christmas season. I'd like for you to turn in your Bible with me to John chapter 12. Last week we saw that Jesus Christ is the light of God's revelation. Today we're going to see that he is the light of salvation. In this chapter, there are some people who came looking for Jesus. They were Gentiles. Uh, Jesus didn't really respond to that invitation to see them, but he went on to say some other things. The hour has come, he says in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus, before this, has said, My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Now, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He explains that he's laying down his life. Verse 27, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And God spoke from heaven. And Jesus went on to say, 
In verse 31, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. Satan had usurped the right to rule the world. And through the long centuries until now, he had been the king of the world. But Jesus says, now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The multitudes therefore answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And yet you say, The Son of Man must be lifted up. Who is this Son of Man? Jesus therefore said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, in order that you may become sons of light. He furthermore says in verse 44, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus Christ brought the light of salvation to sin-darkened humanity. To refuse that light, says Jesus, is to continue on in darkness. To receive that light is to be transformed into a child of light. Now, as we think about the light of salvation, I think we need to start with some kind of a definition for this. What are we talking about? I want to make it clear that I am not talking about some inner light which one needs to discover and then follow in order to discover the deity in himself. That sort of a New Age concept is not light at all. That is darkness. That is a lie. It comes in a lot of different packages these days. Always man is in the center of it. I am not talking about that kind of salvation or light, <clears throat> because it's neither. I am not talking about the light of self-enlightenment, but I am talking about the light of salvation in the sense of God's intervention on behalf of man. The word save means to rescue from danger or to deliver from bondage. It is used in the New Testament in a number of different contexts, but most frequently in a spiritual rescue. Let me give you a definition for the light of salvation. It's uh, made up of several phrases that connect and I think embrace pretty well the whole idea of the light of salvation. First of all, let's understand that it is God's gracious work. Salvation is of the Lord. It does not originate with man. It is God's work. God's gracious work of rescuing an undeserving sinner from judgment. 
Now there's the danger, you see, for the sinner. Judgment. And so the light of salvation is God rescuing that sinner who doesn't deserve it. What he deserves is judgment. But God rescues him anyway. It is God's gracious work of rescuing an undeserving sinner from judgment by his gracious choice. It begins with God. And through the sinner's repentant faith, that's man's part. Faith involves repentance, which means to change the mind, the way that one has thought about himself and about God. It means to turn from everything you've trusted in, everything you've been in the past, and turn to God and trust alone in Him and to desire to become the person that He wants you to become. So salvation is God's gracious work of rescuing an undeserving sinner from judgment by His gracious choice, God's gracious choice, and through the sinner's repentant faith. repentant faith in the crucified and resurrected Christ. It's not enough to have faith. It has to be placed in Christ. The devil has faith. He believes there's a God. And he trembles. But his doom is the lake of fire. It's not enough to have faith. That faith must be in, placed in, the crucified and resurrected Christ. And the final phrase is, unto a transformed life of good works. You see, that's the end of it. God doesn't save us just to keep us from judgment in eternity. God saves us to transform our lives now, to make us a people of good works. The great job that we have today, in our culture at least, is to convince people that they need to be rescued. Because somehow most people think that they're pretty good. They're going to make it with God. They don't need to be saved. They can take care of themselves. Before God can rescue the sinner, the sinner has to acknowledge his need. He has to acknowledge his danger. In a sense, we have to get people lost today before we can get them saved. They've got to understand the danger they're in before they'll come to God to rescue them. But that's what the light of salvation is about. Now, if that's a definition of it, then let's talk about a demonstration of it. And I want to point to a man who's an outstanding example. And that is the Apostle Paul. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 26, where we see the light of salvation demonstrated in Paul's conversion. The book of Acts, the 26th chapter, contains the third time that Paul, or rather that Luke, recounts the conversion of Paul. Here Paul is telling us about it himself. Luke is quoting him. Now he says in verse 9 of Acts 26, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, that's the direction he was heading in. He was hostile toward him. 
And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. You see, he shared in the murder of Christians. I punished them often in synagogues, tried to force them to blaspheme. Being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to the foreign cities. While thus engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And so we have the account of Paul's dramatic conversion. The light pierced the darkness of this man. Remember that Paul was a very religious person. He recounts his righteousness in Philippians, and he says, externally, I was without blame. He was a very self-righteous man. He was zealous. He was on his way to Damascus to continue his religious persecution of the followers of Jesus. And it was then that the light of salvation was demonstrated in Paul's conversion. This light appeared out of heaven, shone all around him. It was God's work. Paul wasn't looking for the light. He was shocked and stunned. It was God's gracious work of rescuing this undeserving sinner. There was nothing in Paul to commend him to God. He tells us that himself. God was graciously rescuing this undeserving sinner from the judgment he did deserve. And he did it through his gracious choice. Paul points to God's acting on his behalf. But here we see Paul also repenting. He says, Lord, who are you? And though he doesn't say it in this context, in another one he tells us a second question he asked, what do you want me to do? You see, there's a, a dramatic change. There's repentance and, and faith in this one who is appearing to him. And what is the result of it? It is that his life was transformed into a life of good works, no longer hostile toward the name of Christ and a bitter enemy of Christians. He has he radically changed by this encounter with Christ. And so we see the light of salvation demonstrated in Paul. But not only in his conversion, <clears throat> we see it also demonstrated in his commission. Jesus goes on to talk to Paul here. He says, Arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God 
Now that's why God was sending Paul. That the eyes of those who had not believed might be opened, that they might then turn in response from darkness to light, from Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me, says Jesus. So you see, the commission of Paul involved a further demonstration of the light of salvation. Jesus says, Paul, I'm sending you, and through your proclamation of me, I'm going to open the eyes of people so that they will turn from darkness to light and from Satan to God. And so there came a time when Paul began his work as an apostle. And as you know, he took several missionary journeys as part of that. We're going to turn back a few pages to the 20th chapter, (coughs) excuse me, the 19th chapter of Acts, and see Paul carrying out this commission in the city of Ephesus. See again the light of salvation demonstrated. Now, this is not Paul's first time in Ephesus. He'd been there briefly on his second journey. Now he comes back. He's going to stay a while, three years, as a matter of fact. I turned to Ephesus because it was a city something like today, cities of our day. It's also the church about which we know the most from the New Testament record. And when Paul arrives there in the city, he first encounters a group of people whom he called disciples, he calls disciples, and he said to them, he's, he's asking them a diagnostic question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now he expected that had they believed in Christ, they should have received the Holy Spirit. Well, they responded and said, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Well, that gives Paul a little insight. So he says, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So here are some disciples, some people, some followers who had been baptized, but they don't know about the Holy Spirit. They don't even know about Jesus. They have some knowledge of the Old Testament and even some things that have happened in their day, in the ministry of John. But it's incomplete knowledge. They don't know about Jesus. And so Paul then preaches Jesus to them. They believe they're filled with the Holy Spirit and are baptized in the name of Jesus. And so the light of salvation is demonstrated here to people who were religious but did not have the knowledge of Jesus. I want to tell you something. There is no darkness any darker than religious darkness. Religious darkness embraces rituals and traditions and notions and ideas. It has an external form of godliness, but it has no power to it because it does not embrace a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There are people, many, many people in our world and in our city who are in religious darkness today. They are, quote, good people. They are, quote, sincere people. But they do not have the knowledge of Jesus. 
And it's our job, as it was Paul's, to bring the light of salvation to them. Maybe there's someone here this morning. You've come out of a religious background. You've been raised in church. But you don't have that relationship with God that salvation is all about. You can have it today. The light of salvation can be demonstrated in your life today, too. Now, Paul goes on to the Jewish synagogue, as his custom was, and again he finds a similar group of people who have knowledge of religion, even of the Old Testament. They believed in God. So he preaches Christ to them. It finally gets them into trouble. He moves his preaching to the school of Tyrannus. We don't know anything about this man, except that his name means tyrant. So does that remind you of any teachers you've ever had in your life? Here was a tough teacher. And apparently he had some open time in this building, and so he rented this building out to Paul so that he could teach his disciples. But Paul goes beyond that. The news gets out to another group of people in Ephesus. These are pagan people. These are people who worship the goddess Diana. The temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was located in the city of Ephesus. And you understand that Ephesus had been a very famous city, a very wealthy commercial center. But it's beginning to slide now. Its economy is dying because they had forested all the hills and there was silt coming down the rivers and filling in the harbor. Now today, if you go to Asia Minor, to the city of Ephesus, you will find the harbor of that day seven miles inland because of the erosion of soil and the building up of silt. It was a problem in Paul's day. They had special projects from the emperor to try to get this harbor opened up again. None of them were ever successful. So the economy's going downhill. The one thing the city had going for it was religious pilgrimages. People who would come to this temple and worship, and they would buy their idols. And that's why Paul got in trouble with Demetrius, this unionized silversmith, and the union. Because now he was attacking the one piece of the economy that was still strong in the city. And so they caused an uproar about that. The result of uh, this was that God did amazing things the things that were extraordinary even for an apostle's ministry. <coughs> Paul, in his trade as a um, tent maker, had a sweat cloth, a handkerchief. And as he would wipe his brow and lay it down, people would pick that up. Touching it would bring healing to them. He had an apron that he wore. People touching that apron would be healed. But these are extraordinary things. Luke says that. This is unusual even for Paul's ministry. God did amazing things. Now why? Because this was a pagan city. Wherever you find idols, you find demons who are receiving the worship given to those idols. And here, amazing things happen in this city. And people are healed and there are people who are delivered of demons and a certain thing occurs around that. You can read about it. Some people tried to use the name Jesus, not being believers. They were into magic, you see. And they thought the name Jesus had magic to it. And they found out that it's not anything to do with magic. It's all relationship. 
And it says that uh, in verse 9, I'm in the wrong chapter. There we go. Verse 18, many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. What practices? The magic arts. They were into witchcraft. They were into sorcery. And it says, many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them all, uh, burning them in the sight of all. Good thing the ACLU wasn't around in those days. This would have been censorship, as they define it. What were these people doing burning these books? They were valuable, worth 50,000 pieces of silver. These were not little golden books. I mean, these were volumes that were ancient. These were volumes that told of magic. You say, oh, it's all just superstition. No, no. These are the arts that deal with the occult, with Satan. There is power there. It's evil. It's dark. There is power there. And so they burned the books. Now, why? because they wanted some sort of public demonstration that they were no longer a part of that pagan past. They burned their bridges, so to speak. They publicly proclaimed they believed in Jesus Christ and they burned everything relating to their past. They were canceling all of their contacts, all of their contracts with the dark side. And so we see salvation not only demonstrated to religious people, but the light of salvation demonstrated to those who are in pagan, demonic darkness, practicing magic. Light liberates those who are in bondage to darkness. Jesus Christ is the liberator. And he delivers all of those who are enslaved in darkness and who will come to him. What he did here in Ephesus, in the ancient city of Ephesus, he is doing in the contemporary city of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And this morning there is someone who is going to share her testimony with you briefly regarding this. She has come out of a life of darkness, having trusted Jesus Christ. And today, in sharing her testimony with you, is, as it were, burning the books and proclaiming that she confesses Jesus Christ as her Savior and as her Lord. This is round two for her. She did this in the first service. It's not easy. But uh, my wife is going to stand with her. Let me introduce you to Kim. And Kim, share with us the words that you've written for your testimony this morning. I was, I was born into a family that was controlled by darkness. The terror and abuse I experienced was constant and at a depth that most people could not grasp. I lived my life feeling alone and trapped with no one to turn to, screaming inside for help but finding no comfort. As an adult, I tried to run, but found that I could not hide from the darkness. I was alone in my hell without hope of escape and dying from the control the darkness had on me. 
In my darkness and terror, God reached down to me and placed within my life a network of Christians who began to teach me God's truth. Light began to shine in my darkness, and I started to understand that God could and would save and deliver me. The life that I have lived has been in fear and terror and silence. I was exhorted to never tell anyone. My struggles and pain have been compounded by keeping the secrets locked within myself, suffering alone. A step towards freedom is knowing that in the family of God, I am able to share my secrets and bring things out into the light. No longer is it necessary to remain a prisoner of the fear and the darkness. In the time since I first started trusting God to deliver me from the hands of darkness, I have learned more about God and what it means to be his chosen child, protected, loved, and forgiven. I have renounced the darkness of my past and gladly confessed my faith in Christ and that I am a child of God and the light. I confess no other master than Jesus, my Lord. Amen. You praise God for that. You. you just can't imagine the, the courage that it took and God's grace in her life to bring her to this point. A network of believers in our church and beyond our church, in fact, in some of the states, have been involved in helping. And I want to thank all of you who have been willing to do that. She uh, needs to be protected. And I, I would like to know if you are willing, as a church family, to wrap your arms around her, so to speak with your prayers and your love and support uh, and to give that protection in Christ. Would you just lift your hand, if you're willing? Hundreds of hands, Kim. She's one of us. She's no longer one of them. God has delivered her from the domain of Satan into the kingdom of his beloved son. She has become a child of the light and the darkness is gone. The past has been forgiven by God. The break has been made. And now she seeks to walk on as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ. I rejoice in this. I rejoice in your testimony this morning. And the light of salvation can be demonstrated in your life too. You may be someone who also has been in deep darkness. Jesus said that if we follow him, we will no longer walk in darkness. And today he extends to you in his grace the invitation to come and to walk with him, to come to the light and leave behind your darkness. 
you may be in the darkness of religion where you've had some knowledge of God, but it's been like an inoculation against the real thing. You can have the real thing today. The light of salvation can be demonstrated in your life if you will come to Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for the power in him who is the light of the world, the power to penetrate the deepest darkness. I thank you that embodied in the babe of Bethlehem was the eternal light of deity and that he came to reveal you and to redeem us. And I pray, Father, that you will surround Kim with your love and your protection, that she may grow in her understanding of discipleship and what it means to serve such a wonderful master as you, a master of love. And I pray for some who may be here today without that relationship, that they may come out of their darkness to the light. Amen. We're going to close by singing a verse or two of the hymn that we closed with last week because it says it so well. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come into thy freedom, gladness and light. I'm going to ask the elders and staff who are here who feel led to come and kneel in prayer at the platform. And if you are in darkness and in bondage today to sin and terror and Satan, and fear. I want to invite you to come as well. Come to the light. Kneel with these men in prayer. Let us help you spiritually so that you can begin your journey with Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Let's stand together and sing number 336. I'll be waiting here for you. Slip out and come as others come to pray for you.
men for coming to pray. I know some of you need to slip out for a job to do, so that's fine. I, uh, I want to say to you that, that we want to embrace Kim and welcome her into our family. Here's a church. She belongs as one of us. Someone who comes out of a severely abused background also needs a little space. So as we welcome her, uh, let's, as we should in all cases, respect the space that she needs so that she feels safe. And if you come to greet her, introduce yourself so that she knows your name, knows you're okay, you're part of the church. And uh, that would be the best way to, to do that. We don't want to smother her. You understand what I'm saying there? Sometimes we Christians can smother people who take a dramatic step like this. And being warm and gracious and welcoming, we don't want to smother her, okay? If you don't understand what I'm saying by that, I'm not sure I do either, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we commend ourselves to you as we go from here. We thank you that in following Jesus Christ, we have the light of life. And that we do not any longer walk in the darkness but we walk in the light. We are a happy people. We rejoice that the light has come. Amen.